I'm in Acts chapter number 20 tonight. Acts chapter number 20. I've I done beat up on them. Now I got to brag on them. Kenneth asked, what are you preaching on tonight? And I said, well, the next chapter we're on in Acts. You know, just trying to bait him. And he said, okay, chapter 20. You know, he's paying attention. So I got to give him credit where credit's due. I'll beat up on him for a little while and brag on him for a little while. Um, but Acts chapter number 20 tonight. Acts chapter number 20. Again, I can't thank you enough for allowing me and my wife to... Uh, take some time off this past week, and um, I went and spent some time, some much-needed time, um, with my pastor from a sense as long as I can remember. My great-grandfather uh, has been preaching and in ministry for right about, as best he can guess, about 65 years. Um, he's, he's nearly 90 now, and, um, and I got down, we got down there late, late Saturday night. Like I said, it's a long drive, and I asked him, I got in there Saturday night, and it's probably 10 o'clock. He's waiting up on us. And I said, well, what you preaching on in the morning? And he said, oh, I thought we was both on vacation. <laughs> so we didn't have church that next Sunday morning. So uh, he normally preaches there in his home still at his age. And he's got several neighbors that come over. And he has speaker phone with some of the family up here in Tennessee. And uh, he still preaches every Sunday morning. But I asked him, what you preaching on in the morning? He said, I thought we was both on vacation. So I thought I got off without having to hear a sermon on Sunday, but boy, was I wrong. Everywhere he drove us, everywhere he toured us around to show us his little area that he lives, there was preaching coming, there was preaching going, there was preaching up, up one side, and I soaked it up. Um, I ate it up. My wife took a lot of naps uh, in the back seat, bless her heart, but um, no, she soaked it up too. I'm just picking at her, but um, to watch a man of God that's seen so much, been a part of so much, uh, and, and in my eyes, knows so much, uh, he's really broken for our country. He's really broken for uh, what's going on and what we're seeing all around us. And uh, he's not throwing stones. He's not uh, harping or ranting or raving. He's just simply hurt that there's not more people like you and like me out there uh, loving people and treating people the way they ought to treat them and how Christ would treat them and witnessing to people. So uh, I came all the way back, like I said, between between driving down there and driving back, me and Miss Candy have been uh, on the, the Bluetooth and the radio on the car about nine sermons, all right? So if Miss Kathy was here tonight, I'd tell her, we just need to go ahead and get a T-shirt made that just says, buckle up at Anchor of Hope Baptist Church because uh, I, I feel like I, I come back with my wagon so loaded, but I'm going to listen, all right? This stubborn, bullheaded young man's going to listen. I've been told by quite a few wise men now, slow down, brother. Slow down. I'm going to listen, and I'm going to try my best, all right? So know if I get to moving fast, if I get to talking fast, I ain't doing it for spot. I'm trying my best to slow down. Acts chapter number 20 tonight. Stand with me when you found it. Acts chapter number 20, verse number 1. Acts chapter number 20, verse number 1. The Bible says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them, and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much, much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, uh, Sopater and Berea and Thessalonians and Aristarchus and Segundus and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus and of Asia and of Tychius and Trophimus. If y'all think y'all could read that better, y'all come up here and try it, all right? Verse number five. These going before 
tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where there were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Tonight I want to preach on this thought. When you think the future has gone out the window. When you think the future has gone out the window. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you yet again that we do not have to play a guessing game with this thing called life. We do not have to wonder what your will is for our life. We do not have to wonder what your plan is for this world and what your plan is for your creation, what your plan is for your church. God, we know that if you were done with us, we wouldn't be here. And God, tonight I pray that you move in the hearts of your people, that you help them in each and every one of their individual needs, any of them that might be carrying burdens. God, help your word to be a comfort to them tonight. And God, I pray if there's any man, any woman in here that's lost, any young man, any young lady that's lost tonight that doesn't know where they did spend eternity. God, I pray that you make it real to them tonight. Convict them and draw them and save them by your grace. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing and be seated. Amen. Acts chapter number 20 highlights one of the most important miracles we see in the book of Acts. And I don't want to skip over it. I don't want to get into some of the meteor stuff at the end of uh, chapter number 20. We preached last week in the beginning of chapter 19. And we preached about when Paul came to those disciples of John the Baptist. And he asked them, hey, have you not received the Holy Ghost? And they looked at him and they said, Holy Ghost? Never heard of it. And we talked about the things that he was able to identify in their lives that had shown their fruit, that they were not spiritual, that they had never been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And what we didn't see and what we didn't dial in on in Acts chapter 19 is after that, as Paul began to minister in Ephesus, there was great opposition that came up against him. And they were from and they were worshipers of the temple of Diana, the goddess Diana, the goddess of fertility there uh, in, that, in that Greek city. And <clears throat> we know that Paul had a great battle with them and there was a big dispute and it ended up in a riot and it ended up in an uproar. And I want to point out, anytime Paul preached, it was either riot or revival. Anytime Paul went in and, and lifted up the banner of Calvary and lifted up Christ and him crucified, there was either a riot response or a revival response. And it's the same thing today. When the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ is preached, people either rebel against it, they reject it, or they're accepting it. There's no middle ground. There's no simply hearing it and walking away. You're either rejecting the gospel or accepting the gospel. And now that we see that the uproar has ceased, there's a couple things that happened that I want to dial in on before we get to the miracle tonight. Number one, an embracing teacher. Look at verse number one. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them. This is key here. This is crucial. Why? Because back in chapter number 19, there was an absolute war going on between these worshipers of Diana and these disciples of Jesus Christ. There was an absolute fight, bicker, riot, mob, uproar, you name it. It was happening 
Fingers were pointing this way, fingers were pointing that, that way. And as things seemed to calm down and as they stood firm on the truth and they weren't imprisoned or they weren't jailed or they weren't anything like that, but it says as the uproar was ceased, Paul took the time to do something that is so critical and so worth noting here. He took the time to call his disciples together and be an embracing teacher. He took the time to call his disciples together, tell them, come here, come here, boys, come here, ladies, come here, ones that are following Christ, come here, ones that are following me. This may discourage you. This may this fight of, with Diana, it may cause you to grow faint and weary, but understand this, that God's still in control. God's still on the throne. And Paul took the time as their preacher, as their pastor, to call them together and embrace them. He didn't form a secret squadron or a secret ministry to go back and attack those people at Diana. He was more worried about not what the enemy was doing. He was worried about his people and his disciples and the ones he was ministering to. And he called them in close and he embraced them. And he said, you know what, God, it's going to be okay. God's still on the throne. We still have a job to do. An embracing teacher, not only that, but an encouraging tour. Look at verse number two. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And, and then Luke goes to list several places and several piece, uh, people that joined to his cause and several people that were following him and this band of disciples that had joined themselves to Paul. And he simply went on what I would call a discipleship tour, an evangelism tour. He went back to the places where he had preached before, where he had seen people saved, where there were disciples. And he stayed at each of those places a certain length of time. And he poured back into those people and he exhorted those people and he lifted them up. See, now when the first time he had come into these places and the first time he had come into the cities, he was preaching truth. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching hellfire and damnation. He was preaching turn or burn. But now as he's coming back through, he's finding these believers. He's finding these disciples and he's encouraging them. He's exhorting them. He's helping them to understand that the battle is not over yet, that this is a marathon and not a sprint, that this is a race of a lifetime, that this is something that's going to take a long time and that they do not need to grow weary and well-doing. This was an encouraging tour. He moved about the places where he had been before and exhorted and encouraged God's people. So an embracing teacher became an encouraging tour. And then we see an engrossed team. Look at verse number seven. And upon the first day of the week, so he'd been there in Troas about a week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber they were, where they were gathered Together. So you see now Paul about to leave one of these cities called Troas and he's about to leave on the next morning. He's got a long journey ahead of him. He's got a very big task to accomplish, a very big job to do. What greater, bigger job than the Great Commission? Amen. He's got something enormous to embark on the next day, but he takes the time to go into this upper chamber, to go in this room where they were meeting in secret in the middle of the night and begin to preach. No doubt he would have begun to preach probably when it was still daylight. How do you know that preacher? Well, because people didn't really get out and travel around in the dark too much. They didn't have a flashlight they could turn on. They didn't have headlights on their cars. Guess why? Because they didn't have cars. They didn't have a way to see at night. So they would have gathered together there in the daylight and he began to preach long into the night. How many remember sitting in a service like that where the preacher just began to preach at whatever time and it was over at whatever time? All right. There was no uh, nine o'clock or eight o'clock or seven o'clock. We got to be back to the Golden Corral. There's no, there's no this. There's no that. And <clears throat> being with my great grandfather, he used to. He talks about. He used to begin preaching on a Sunday morning and and not get done preaching till a Sunday night because people were testifying and people were dealing with God and people were. And you say, well, that's gone by. People can't take that today. People don't do that today. Well, I'll tell you what. I've been in the mountains of Gatlinburg and I've been in the mountains of Pigeon Forge and I've watched teenagers get into a 
a song service and stay in that song service for two hours. I've watched the preacher get up to preach and him be preaching uh, for about two hours. And then the altars flood and the altars stay flooded for another two hours. We've walked out of that convention center. The teenagers call it the conviction center. After being in that convention center for roughly five to six hours. And the teenagers don't even bat an eye. They don't even realize they've been in there that long. They don't even whine or complain or moan or groan. They're simply ready to go back to Taco Bell, hit the hotel, wake up and do it again the next morning. Amen. When the Holy Spirit of God is moving, when the Holy Spirit of God has filled His man, time stands still. You stop worrying about what's going on out there. You stop worrying about what's going on at Burger King. and You stop worrying about how long the line's getting at Golden Corral. You stop worried about when you've got to get your next hair appointment or your next nail appointment. You, you stop worrying about that on Sunday because you're in the presence of an Almighty God and you don't want it to end. This was an engrossed team. This was a group of believers that would have stayed in that upper room with Paul as long as he was going to preach. But there was one young man in that room, and now we're going to come to an unexpected tragedy. Look at verse number 9 with me. And there sat in the window a certain young man. Notice the detail in Luke gives us that. A certain young man. He didn't call him a child. This wouldn't have been a teenager or somebody who was not adult. This was categorized as a young man. This was not a child. This was a young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep. I mean, you know exactly what he's doing. All right. This is not deep theological depths that you have to go to here to understand what Eutychus is doing. And fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. But he fell down and he was taken up dead. Upon studying for the scripture there, for whatever reason, sometimes when you read the King James Version Bible and the Bible tells you he was dead, there's people out there and there's people that are much smarter than me, much more educated than me that say, but was he really dead? Let's dive in. Let's dissect this and dissect that and dissect this. And there's a big division over whether or not Eutychus was really dead here, whether or not he was just unconscious or whether or not he was simply uh, sleeping. But in my simple North Georgia education from with my degree and my this and my that, whatever you want to call it, I would read it like this. Who is writing the book of Acts? Luke. Okay. Who was a what? Doctor. Okay. And Dr. Luke, a medical physician. How do you know he was dead? Are you a doctor? No, but the one who's writing the book said and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. We see several times in the New Testament supposing he was dead or sleeping or uh, maybe he could have been dead or the crowd thought he was dead or everybody. No, here we see the same word for dead as we saw as when, he, when Jesus said Lazarus sleep. It was the same word. He was dead as a hammer gone, lights out. We don't need to overcomplicate it. And now we see this tragedy. We see this young man named Eutychus and now he's laying there at the base of the building as he's fallen out of the third loft, as he's fallen out the window he fell asleep. Eutychus more than likely came with great intentions. He came to the place where God's people were. He came to hear the man of God preach. He had noble intentions. He had sincere intentions. He was simply coming to church to hear what the man of God had to say. He knew the man of God was going to be leaving in a day. He knew the next day he may not have this opportunity ever again. So Eutychus had come. And we see his humility in the fact that he was sitting in the window. A lot of people said, well, he was sitting in the window because he's trying to get away from the preacher. He's trying to avoid the presence of God. No, he was sitting in the window probably because there was nowhere else to sit. Or maybe as a young man like I am, he was hot. He was sitting outside by the window. Don't look too much into the things that don't matter. But we do know and we do understand that Eutychus came to church that night. 
And he was listening to the Word of God and he did something that you and I are all guilty of doing at one point or another. Are you trying to tell me I fell asleep in church? Well, yeah, maybe if that's what you're reading out of it. But more than that, Eutychus fell. He fell. Number one, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. How many of you have ever been somewhere doing something that you knew you weren't supposed to be asleep, yet there you were, snoozing, snoring, drooling, wife had to elbow you, husband had to elbow you, all right? And you fell asleep. He fell asleep. Yes, it was midnight. But if there's any ever a time you need to be listening and be in tune with the Word of God and to be in tune with the presence of God, is it not the midnight hour? Is it not the time when the darkness is the darkest? And it is not the time when things don't seem the brightest, when everybody seems that they're against you, everything seems that is crashing down. That midnight hour ought not be when you're sleeping. That midnight hour ought be when you're the closest with your Savior. It ought to be when you're the closest in prayer and the closest in presence and the closest in perseverance, but we see Eutychus here at that midnight hour, no doubt at the climax of Paul preaching, falling asleep. Falling asleep. I don't want to dive too much into this because we've got the rest of the message to get to, but I would submit and I would see a generation of Christians that have fallen asleep on God in this midnight hour. It is a dark hour we're facing. It is dark out there. Things are not looking so good. Things are not looking once as unified as they were, as free as they were. There's not as much liberty now as there was yesterday. And there are Christians everywhere that have simply fallen asleep. The men of God are still preaching. The churches of God are still meeting. The Christians are still marching on. But there are some that had the noblest of intentions, that came to church with a purpose, that serve God with fervency, and they have fallen asleep. They have... Even though they started out walking, they started out talking, they're asleep. He didn't just fall asleep, though. He fell down. Look again at verse number 9. Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, look at this. Woo, look what happens when you fall asleep on God. Sunk down with sleep. And fell down from the third loft. You fall asleep on God, there's nowhere to go but down. You fall asleep on God, there's nowhere to go but down. You snooze yourself and you become separated from the spirituality of preaching and the spirituality of God's Word. You're just picking on Eutychus. No, I'm using this as exactly how Luke was making sure it got written down and so that we could understand the picture here. When Eutychus fell asleep on God, the only place left for him to go was down. When he separated himself from preaching and from the Word of God and separated himself from the spiritual connection he could have had up in that upper room, he went downwards. There was no going up from that point. A lot of people think, I'm going to get out of church so I can get my life together. I can get my career in a better place. I can get my family. You separate yourself from the things of God. Honey, that ain't going to happen. You ain't going to go anywhere but down. Down. He fell down. What? Big theological debate question. Big theological answer. When he fell asleep, what made the difference from him falling out the window or in the window? Before you answer, I want to tell you just a way to think about it. When we was on vacation, my wife had taken a nap. She had fallen asleep in the back of the car. And she was sawing logs. We had been to breakfast, and then we went to the beach there in his little town and uh, <clears throat> had it to ourselves and was relaxing. And we got back in the car, and she's been out in the sun, and me and him are talking and going back and forth, and we're, you know this, that, and the other, and we're talking. And she's in the back seat with her pillow and her blanket. It's just no wonder she fell asleep. She's taking a nap, my sweet wife. And by the time we got home, about an hour and a half later, she is sawing 
logs. All right, I'm talking. She's in the nursery, so I can do that. She's, I mean, she's snoring. She got that little bit of drool coming outside of her. I mean, she is just the most precious, sweet little thing. But she is out. Well, we pull in the driveway. And I get out of my seat and my great grandfather, the perfect gentleman he is, he had made the habit already of opening her door for her when we got to wherever we were going. So she, he goes back there and he opens the door and starts walking in and he hears me crying, laughing hysterically because as he opened that door, we hear. <laughs> Some of you still aren't there. What was that sound? That was the sound of my wife going <laughs> flying out the back seat. Why? Because she was asleep. She was unconscious and more of Miss Candy was leaning on the door than was leaning on the seat. So when he opened that door, out she went. When Eutychus fell asleep in that window, the reason he fell out of church and not into church was because there was more of him out the window than there was in the window. When he fell asleep on God, the reason he fell down, the reason he spiraled downward was because there was already more of him outside the presence of God than there was of him inside the presence of God. Some of you still aren't getting it. When you fall asleep, when you fall and you make a simple mistake, the reason it takes some people out of church and the reason it takes some people to an altar is because there are some people that try to stay close to God and that have earnest intentions of staying close to God but their actions tell another story and as they check their box and as they go through their spiritual routine they're getting farther and farther out the window and when they finally fall asleep they're out but there's some Christians that make such an effort to stay so close and even though they know they're going to make mistakes even though they know they're going to fall they know they're going to fall forward and they know that when they fall when they fail they know that they're going to fall into the hands of a loving, forgiving Savior. He fell. You fall. I fall. People we know fall. So right now, I want you to make, get the picture in your head. Who is your Eutychus? Because right now, as I was preaching, Holy Spirit's put somebody on your heart. You know somebody that's gone out the window. You know somebody's future and you look at their life and you think their future's out the window. They're dead. There's no way they're coming back from that. Some of you might be your own Eutychus. And you say, I, I put the show on. I walk through life. I walk and I do the things people say I'm supposed to do. But I fell out the window a long time ago. I fell asleep a long time ago. And now spiritually, I'm as good as dead. I wear the suit. I put the nice shoes on. I come to the church, I go through the routine, but I fell out the window a long time ago. As we get into the next part, because I've heard it preached many times, a preacher will stand here for an hour and just beat the daylights out of Eutychus. That's not what we're going to do. Because Eutychus is just like you, and he's just like me. He fell. He made a mistake. Did he want to repeat it? No, but now it's too late. Dr. Luke rushes to his side and says, as a physician, in my professional opinion, he did. He's dead. So we're not going to look at Eutychus tonight. We're going to look at his preacher. We're going to look at Paul. And we're going to, while asking the question, who is your Eutychus? Who is my Eutychus? Let's look at what Paul does here. Let's look at what Paul does here. Look at verse number, look at verse number uh, 10. And Paul went down and fell on him. And embracing him said, trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. The flesh in you and the flesh in me 
would have liked to stand in Paul's shoes and said, serves him right. He shouldn't have fell asleep on the things of God. Serves him right. He shouldn't have been sitting so far back in the window. He should have been on the front row with these boys and wanting to get an up front seat, an up close seat to the preaching of God's Word. Serves him right. And as Paul hears of this commotion, and as he hears of this tragedy that's taken place, and as he hears of this young man, the future of the church of the living God, this young man, the one that he was trying to pour into, the news flash, we all going to check out of here one day. We're all going to die. And if we're not pouring into the young men and we're not pouring into the young ladies these pews will be empty in a matter of one generation because we watch people and we watch young people and we watch young families fall out the window fall asleep and we say serves them right they shouldn't have been going to them ball fields instead of going to church serves them right they shouldn't have been doing that on Facebook instead of reading their Bible serves them right are you any better than they the Bible says and such were some of you what Paul do what Paul do? We're going to pull it all out of verse number nine. Number one, Paul, or verse number 10. Paul went down. Paul went down. Paul did not demand, whoo, think about this. Paul did not demand that the dead body, Paul did not demand that the body be brought to where he was. He went to where the body was. You didn't hear me. Paul did not demand that the thing that was dead, the boy that had no chance, the boy that was a lost cause, he did not demand that that dead, dead as a hammer body be brought to where he was so he could do some miraculous work. He went to where the body was. He went to where his bride was. He went to where the church was. He went to where you were, were and he went to where I was, and he came down to us. Rather than looking down, rather than throwing down, rather than spitting down, Paul Paul went down. Paul went to where this young man was. Paul didn't send somebody and say, somebody else go. It was an individual going. It was an individual going. Paul didn't look over at Luke and say, ain't you the doctor? You go. It's not my job. I preach. No. The future just went out the window. The young man who would be the next one to take up the gauntlet just went out the window. That young family that was serving God with everything they had just went out the window. And the preacher looked to his left, he looked to his right, and he said, I'm going. I'm going to where they are. I'm going to go down. And in the, and the aspect of asking, who is your Eutychus? It's not the, somebody else's job to go to him. It's the Christian's job to go to him. And if you're the Christian in the relationship and you've seen them go out the window, you've seen them throw their life away, you've seen them make a mistake, it's an individual going. It's not, I need somebody to go knock some sense into them. No, it's you. You're the Christian. You're the one that knows your Bible. You're the one that prays. There's no help in them. Yeah, there is help in them. It's through you. Paul went individually. He went in spite. Taken, if I haven't said it enough, he was dead. Dr. Luke said, he's dead. The crowd said, he's dead. But Paul went in spite of that, didn't he? He went to a lost cause. He went to something. He went to a body. He went to a young man that everybody else had just, he's dead. Aren't you glad God didn't leave you where he found you? Aren't you glad that when you were dead in trespasses and sins? In Ephesians 2.1 it says, Ye who were dead in trespasses and sins hath he quickened. Aren't you glad that when you fell out the window, and we've all fallen out the window, or when you were dead, and you had never even donned the doors of a church, Christ came to where you were. That's what Paul did here. 
in spite of his condition, in spite of his condition and intentionally. Paul did not go down there to fulfill an obligation. Paul did not come down there. There was no policy that said if a man falls out, there was no bylaw that says if a man falls out of the window, it is the pastor Paul's responsibility to go and make sure the boy is up. No, there was no policy that stated Paul had to go talk to him or Paul had to go be by his side or Paul had to go minister to him or Paul had to go raise him from the dead like he did. There was no policy. There was no procedure. Paul went with a simple purpose. The moment he saw Eutychus fall from the window, Paul intentionally headed that boy's direction, headed that young man's direction with the sole purpose of getting his life back in him. He knew it wasn't something he was going to do, but he knew something that God was going to do. He knew it wasn't something Paul had the ability to do, but he knew God could do it. He knew God could touch this boy. He knew God could heal this boy, but before he could, Paul had to intentionally go there with a purpose. Who is your Eutychus? Who is he? Who is she? That they've fallen out. They've, they're hurting. They're hurting. They've made a mistake. Some of them are as good as dead. They're not even looking to come. Was Eutychus trying to get back in the church? No, he's dead. Was Eutychus calling the pastor and said, I'm, I'm sorry for not being there this Sunday. We had this and we had that. No, he was dead. But Paul went with a purpose. Trusting and believing that the God he served could bring this boy back. He went intentionally. So Paul went down. Secondly, this is not hard preaching. And fell on him. He fell on him. This speaks of Elijah when he healed the Shunammite woman's son. And we know it says Elijah stretched his body over that carcass of that young boy that had died. And we see Paul here come to the side of this young man and fall on him. Stretch his body out over him. Show the utmost display of affection. All your psychologists and your thisologists and your geologists and that say that the human nature, the human body, the more open they open themselves up, the more their body language, as they open themselves up, the more they are trusting, the more they are trying to connect. When you see somebody that has their guard up, they're defensive, they've got their arms crossed, they're hunched over, they've got their head down, they're in a defensive position. But now, as we see Paul approach this young man that is dead, that is lying there with no hope, he cast his body on him. The People looking at him would have wondered what in the world is going on. Why in the world are you doing this, Paul? Paul fell on him and he did it with carefulness. The boy had just fallen three stories out of a window. Paul did not jump from the top rope and fall on him. This would have been something he did with carefulness. He would have came gingerly and tenderly and laid his body down on top of this young man and did it to be so careful. Why was he so careful to not make it worse? To not make whatever damage that had happened in his fall worse. Don't miss this. Sometimes we go to our eunuchus. Sometimes we go to that one that you, we know has fallen out the window. Or sometimes we're eunuchus and there's a preacher or a Christian that tries to come help us and they only make it worse. Because when they fell on us, when they came to our house, when they knocked on our door, when they knocked on our heart, they did it for the wrong reasons. Or they said something that they hadn't prayed about. They took a scripture out of context and all they did was make it worse. When Paul fell on this young man, he would have been doing it in such a loving, compassionate way that he didn't make it any worse. There was carefulness. There was compassion. This was love and action. Paul knew that there were eyes watching. And while a bunch of elder Christians were probably saying, serves him right, he wanted to show those men around him, those women around him, this is the next generation. 
This is our future, church. These are the ones that are going to carry Bibles after we're too weak to carry Bibles. These are the ones that are going to come to the altars after we are no longer around to come to the altars. These are the ones that are going to intercede on prayer on behalf of a nation who's forgotten God. If we don't pour into them, if we don't show the importance to them, who else will? Paul showed it. He showed it. He fell on them with compassion and conciliation. Paul couldn't bring him back. I'm trying to slow down, but I want to take a lap. I'm not lying. Paul couldn't bring him back, but he knew who could. When Paul fell, Paul couldn't bring him back to life. Paul couldn't raise him from the dead. Paul couldn't restore him from his fall. Paul couldn't forgive his mistake. Paul couldn't wake him back up even though he fell asleep. Paul couldn't make him whole again even though he was dead. Paul couldn't put life back in his lungs and a song in his heart and joy on his face. But he knew a man who could. He knew a Savior. He knew a Messiah. He knew a God in heaven that could come to where he was, fill his body, restore him, change him from the inside out, and get him walking again, get him talking again, get him a brand new man walking in that pair of shoes. Paul knew that if no one else was going to mediate on behalf of this boy, if no one else was going to pray over this boy, if nobody else, who else would? Who's your Eutychus? Who's that one? Who's praying for him? Who's praying for him? Who's the one mediating between them who are dead in trespasses and sins and a God who can give them life? And that Eutychus, you know who it is in your head. Everyone's got one. Are you the one praying for him? Spoiler alert, you should be. Why? Because you're the Christian. You're the one that knows Jesus. You're the one that knows the great physician. You're the one that knows who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You're the one that knows the king of kings. You don't know a president. You don't know a politician. You don't know a congressman. You know the king of kings. And you know the Lord of lords. And you know the lamb that took away the sin of the world. You know the lion of the tribe of Judah. You got his name. You, he knows your frame. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your thoughts. He knows you better than you know you. You know who he is. Yet when you look at a Eutychus, you don't ask him to help them. You don't ask them to heal them. Such unbelief. It wasn't where Paul was. Paul said, I can't help you, son, but I know who can. I can't bring you back, kid, but I know who can. Who's your Eutychus? Lastly, went down, fell on him, embracing him. Embracing him. Sustaining strength. Paul was holding this young man in his arms. Paul was the one that came down. And when nobody else would pick him up, Paul would. Such a picture of our Lord. When nobody else would hold him up, Paul would. Sustaining strength. Sacrificial substance. Paul would have been the one to stop his message. Stop what he was doing up in that upper room. Stop everything. We know the message wasn't over because he went back up and finished preaching. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his purpose. He sacrificed his goal, his mission, his ministry, his put whatever it is there and said, I, I know who my Eutychus is, but I ain't got time to go get involved in their mess. I ain't got in time to go get involved in their deadness. I ain't got time to go clean up the mess they made when they fell out the window. I ain't got time. Paul said, neither do I. Paul was probably the most busy Christian on the face of the earth at this time. But when that young man fell out the window, he sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his message. He sacrificed his ministry and went to where that 
that young man was and embraced him. And embraced him. There's nothing you have in your life that makes you too busy to be a Christian to somebody. There's nothing you have in your life that makes you too busy to love somebody. Why do you think the disciples asked Jesus, how many times do I got to forgive these people, Lord? Seven times? <laughs> no. He said, no, seven times, 70 times. And by the time you try to count that high, you'll forget and you'll have to start all over. Because people are going to fall out the window. People are going to fail you. People are going to fail God. Aren't you glad He doesn't leave us laying in the street? Aren't you glad He doesn't leave us laying, fought, fell out the window in our mistakes and our sins and our temptations that we fall to? Even as saved people. Aren't you glad we got somebody even greater than Paul that comes to us, comes down to us, falls on us, embraces us, holds us up, strengthens us, supernatural significance as I close. Miss Joy's coming. The one who was dead was now alive. The one who was forgotten would now be remembered in pages of Scripture for eternity. The one who simply sat down in a window, fell asleep and fell out of a window, had a second chance. You know what I bet? I bet Eutychus never sat near the window again. I bet he stayed up close. I bet Eutychus never fell asleep in church again. I bet he stayed fixated. Not on the preacher. Don't miss this. Eutychus owed his life not to Paul. Eutychus owed his life not to a man. Eutychus owed his life to a Savior that thought enough of little Eutychus to restore him to life, to raise him from the dead. You and I have been given such an opportunity to be born again. Who is your Eutychus? As Miss Joy plays, heads bowed, nobody looking around. First, I want to address the church tonight. Heads bowed, nobody looking around. When I say the church, I mean those of you who name the name of Christ and say you're saved. How many of you know a Eutychus? Slip your hand up. How many of you know a Eutychus? You know one. You know who your Eutychus is. We all do. Why don't we have a special time? Family time. Church time. Why don't you bring that name down to the altar? Why don't you bring that name before a holy and righteous God like Paul did? And say, I, I can't help that one. As Miss Joy plays, if you need to come, you come. Why don't you bring your Eutychus down to the altar? Why don't you come speak their name before a holy and righteous God? We've all got one. Some of you make your pew right there where you're at, an altar. You say, Lord, Lord, ain't nobody going to help them if you don't help them. Ain't nobody going to heal them if you don't heal them. Ain't no, nobody going to get them back under preaching if you don't bring them back. <clears throat> Next part of this invitation is very serious. How many of you know that you're your own Eutychus? Nobody's raising their hands right now. How many know, say, preacher, spiritually I'm out the window. Spiritually things are not right between me and God. You'd be honest enough to let me pray for you. I don't want to embarrass you. I wouldn't embarrass you for a thing in the world. How many be honest enough to slip your hand up, say, preacher, I'm not as close to God as I'd like to be. Would you pray for me? I see those hands. 
Nobody's looking around. See that hand? See that hand? Thank you for your courage. Let me pray for you. In the last part of the invitation, I want her to keep playing. So, preacher, I've never fallen out because I've never even got in. Preacher, I've never had to worry about falling out of something because I've never even got in. I, I don't even know if I died tonight where I'd spend eternity. I may have did something when I was young. I may have did something traditional or routine, but I don't know for sure. How many of you would say, be honest with me, be honest with God? Preacher, I don't know for sure if I'd go to heaven, but I know for sure I don't want to go to hell. Can I see your hand? See that hand. I don't know for sure if I'd go to heaven if I died, but I sure don't want to go to hell. See that hand. Let me tell you this. Nobody's looking around, heads about eyes closed. If you slip your hand up or if you didn't want to slip your hand up, but you know that's you, you know that if you died tonight, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. Can you look at me? Can you look at me? Right now, you can do something about it. You can do what thousands have come before you. We'll have a young lady over here, young man over here, older man, older lady, either one, to pray with you and to show you, take a Bible. So I want her to play one more verse. And this verse is for you. Why don't you do what thousands have done and lay it down? Say, God, I need you. I don't need a church. I don't need a man. I don't need something religious. I need something that's real. As I pray, if you need to come, you come. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your sweet spirit. God, I pray now that that one, that two, that three, God, those that don't know where they'd spend eternity, that don't know, God, I pray that you convict them, that you show them their sin, but God, you show them that there's a loving Savior that died on the cross just for them. There's a loving Savior that died on the cross just for their sins, just for their iniquities, and just for mine. Lord, I pray that you wrap your arms around them, draw them with cords of love to an altar, to one of our workers. God, help them to stay behind and ask the preacher, ask a deacon, ask the elder lady. Dear Lord, I pray that you help them to have faith, have faith to step out and surrender to Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to close the service like this. I do this from the teenage room some time to time. If you're at peace with God tonight, you know that you know, you know, if you didn't make it home tonight where you'd spend eternity, you can be dismissed. If you're at peace with God about things in your life, about your Eutychus, you can be dismissed. But if things aren't right and you just want somebody to pray with or you just want to stay in the quiet and pray for a little while, you stay behind. So quietly... You're dismissed if need be.